All right. We really do want to encourage you um, to get in a group and kind of learn and study. A lot of you say, well, where am I going to do that? I'm at men's Bible study on Monday. Come here on Tuesday. Well, that means you got Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday left, right? But you can meet monthly. You can meet uh, twice a month. You can do whatever, okay? Okay, I am really excited about this next um, section called the Word of God because it is, uh, it is so powerful when you really start learning the Word of God and you really begin to kind of allow it to pour into you. Um, the way it was designed to pour into you. Okay. Um, hold on a second. I want to look at one scripture here while I'm thinking. Okay, I, I was asked the question um, by Ted, and I'll just go ahead and respond to it quickly, and I was trying to find it in Corinthians, but I'll just quote it since I can't find it right now. Um but what about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? When does that occur? Okay? And, and it really depends on who you're talking to, and it really depends on which, where you're reading. I mean, I'm going to be really honest with you, okay? Because you can, you can find this idea. The idea is, it says in, in 1 Corinthians, and I thought it was 11 or 12, but I'll, I'll find it. Somebody can look it up for me. By one spirit are you all baptized into one body. Okay, so the idea of baptism is an immersion, okay, an immersion that places you in the body of Christ. Now, what gets confusing at times is when you go through the book of Acts and you're going, what's going on here and here and here? And you find three different times where there appears to be something that looks like Pentecost. You got Pentecost, uh, that's for the Jews, and you got a Samaritan one, and then you got a Gentile one. And there seemed to be a very similar thing. Um, undoubtedly, designed by God himself to make sure that the Jews didn't think they had a corner on the Holy Spirit. And that was a big piece of what's going on in the book of Acts. Think about the book of Acts as a bridge. It's a bridge that takes you from the Gospels. How many Christians were there in the Gospels? None. There were no Christians in the Gospels, right? Because no one, Christ had not died on the cross, the Holy Spirit had not been given. There were no Christians until Pentecost. Where do you find the church in the Gospels? See, there is not a church started. There's, a, there's, there's Jesus talking about a future church, the body of Christ, but the church is birthed on the day of Pentecost, right, by the Holy Spirit where he breaks down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile and, and unites both by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the glue. Now, what, you know, if we had a lot of time, we could kind of go into this because the one thing that's always hard is trying to interpret what is said and match that up with your experience. Because some of you have had an experience where you've, let's say you were saved, you really did believe in Jesus Christ, and then later there appeared to be this, this second work of the Spirit of God or this deeper or further work of the Holy Spirit that you referred to as a baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was an immersion and not just a filling, Okay. Um, and so, again, I just wanted to touch on it. Um, undoubtedly, one thing I think everybody can agree on, at salvation, the Holy Spirit comes. He places you in the body of Christ. Um, subsequent baptisms, um, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I've, got, I've had some experiences with the Holy Spirit that, you know, 
maybe not common to you. You've had one not common to me. And so I always just say, you know, the Holy Spirit's bigger than our book of interpretation. Does that make sense? Because what we want to do as humans, we want to figure everything out. And about the time you try to think you've got the Holy Spirit figured out, he kind of turns right and does something new and fresh. And I'll, I'll just tell this story because it, it's, it's a really powerful story for me, and then I want to move on to the Word of God and try to finish here um, early so we can let you out on time. That's going to be the goal. But I was, uh, I was sitting, and you've heard this story maybe, but I was sitting in an office with Jim Caviezel, the guy who played Passion of the Christ, and I don't think I've ever met anyone that I thought was as passionate about Jesus as him. I mean, it was almost frightening, honestly, because he was just a little unnerving. He's a little bit intense, you know. And so we were sitting there, and I was listening to him, and and it was like the Holy Spirit said to me, are you as committed to Jesus as he is? And in my heart, I said, no, I'm not. I really had to be honest. I just said, no, I'm not. And when I said that, it was like the Holy Spirit said, do you want to be? Do you want to be? And I said, I do. And I can just as, it's just as real today as it was then, and it's reproduced as often as it, as it did then. And I was sitting there, and I, and I just felt this force, this wave come across me that I felt like I was just leaning over in the chair, and I just kind of had to pull myself back up. And, and, and from that point on until this day, um, before I get up to preach, I will just sit there and say, God, I just pray for your spirit just to, to bring that anointing on me, okay? Whatever it is, whatever you're doing, whatever that empowerment was. And to this day, I still feel literally my body pushed to the, from one side to another. Now, I can't find a scripture verse for that. But I will say this, from the moment that happened, which was March in 2011, um, the church that I was then pastoring uh, had a tendency to kind of look at me different. I, I mean, I literally can tell you it was then, it was March 2011, and we would birth this church in, in, in February of 2012. I think there's a direct link that God was doing something, and, and, and I realized one of the things God was doing as I was praying, he was saying, I'm pushing you out. If I positioned myself in the chair where I was over in Yorba Linda, that pushing was pushing this way. Okay? Amen? Now, I don't have chapter and verse. I don't have it. But I don't, you can't talk me out of it. And I can't deny what God did and what God is doing. So that's what I, why I want to say. Sometimes you have an experience which you could line up with a passage in, the, in one of those three accounts in Acts and say, that was it. I said, great. <laughs> Praise God. Okay? You'll have something and go, I don't know how to line that up, but the fruit of that, the evidence that God is in you and God's working through you is so powerful. I mean, I don't know. God does what God wants to do. That's kind of when your name's God, you get to do that kind of stuff. Amen? Okay, so, um, again, we'll do some of this stuff in more of the, more of the classes when we get out of the 101s and get in more of the 202s. So I know I've got at least enough to get you thinking. Okay, the Word of God, the Word of God. Why is the, why is the Word of God so critical? Because of this. The first attack against Adam and Eve against, was not against Adam and Eve, but it was against God. Here's what, here's what the serpent said in Genesis 3. 
Has God said? Let me call into question the word of God. Did God really say that to you? You know that you probably didn't hear it right. And what happened was you see him challenging the word of God, and then you see Eve misquoting the word of God because she says God said we can't eat it or touch it. So there's two big problems we have. One is we subtract from the word of God, and the other is we add to the word of God. That's why people get so confused when, they, when I'll show them something in a, in a Bible and they go, well, this says Holy Bible on it. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's the Holy Bible just because some guy published it and sold it to you for 50 bucks. Would it not make sense that if you wanted to, to destroy the faith of someone, you would take your time and you would do it little by little? I mean, you see, Satan's patient. He's patient. He doesn't have to get you today. He can get your children's children. See, that's, that's what we forget. He's got long-term plans for mankind. And so I want you to take your Bibles. I'm going to show you something here because here's what we know is there is, and write this down because it's not, I don't, it might be in there, but it's not specifically put like this. There is what's called the doctrine of preservation. The doctrine of preservation. What that means is that God preserves his words for you so that when you read his words, you're getting the word of God. So we're going to do the same little thing. We're going to, we're going to use Joanne. We're going to use John again. Sorry, Joanne. Um, she's upgrading already. She's tired of me. Okay. Let's go to Psalm chapter 12. Psalm chapter 12 and verse 6. Okay, and seven. Now I'm going to read it, and then I want you just to look and see if you notice anything what what happens here. The words of the Lord are pure words. We would all agree that's true, right? God's words are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. So God, what does he do? He takes his words, he says they're pure. When they, what they would do is they would heat up silver or gold, and they would heat it up seven times. And each time they would scrape off the dross off the top, and on this, after they've done it seven times, it was said that you could look into silver or gold and you could see your face in that molten metal. The idea is when you look into the Word of God, it should, you should see who you really are. It's a revealer, Right? a revealer of the thoughts and tensions of the heart, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13. So it says, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of, uh, of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, what's them? The word of God. O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. There's a doctrine of preservation. Now, unfortunately, what happens in a modern translation is they destroy the doctrine of preservation in verse 7. And it changes from the words of God, it changes to an individual who's kept safe. Doctrine's destroyed. Um, right next to that passage, put in your, in your margin there, uh, Proverbs chapter 30, Proverbs 30 and verse 6. 
Now, we could look into, for example, Deuteronomy. I think it's Deuteronomy 4, Revelation uh, 22. It says, if you take from the word of God, your name will be taken from the book of life. If you add to the word, your name shall be taken from the word of life. Why is God so serious about his word? Because it's who he is. The word is a direct, a direct, now watch this, a direct representation of who he is. That's why it says the grass withers in Isaiah, the flowers fade, but the word of God abides forever. That's why it says in Psalms, thou, O Lord, has exalted thy word above thy name. Now think about the implication of that. God says, I'm going to lift my word up before I'm going to lift my name up. Why? Because if the word's wrong, you don't get the right name. See how that works? So thou hast exalted thy word even above thy name. So think about how God uses the word. He speaks the world into existence by the word of his power. He's revealed as the living word. He brings us the written word. When he comes back, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, he comes and out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword and on his thigh is written a name. You remember what it is? The word of God. See, God's trying to make a point. That word is so powerful and so critical. Now, Let's take our Bibles and just go to Psalm. You're in Psalms, so I'm not going to slow down for a lot of this stuff. I'm just going to hit it and, and uh, not put Joanne on the, on the spot. But let's go to Psalm 119. 119. Now, Psalm 119, if you really want a great study in the Word of God, study Psalm 119. You know why? It's the longest chapter in the Bible. The longest chapter in the Bible. But watch this. Every single verse has a reference to the Word of God. Every one of them. And you'll notice when you go there, you know, you'll, you'll look in there and you'll go, well, what's this Aleph up here, you know, in Psalm 119? What, why does that say? It? it has, it's broken down into the letters of the alphabet. Basically, it's the ABCs of the Word of God. It was used as a memory aid. You know, like when, when our kids were little, um, there was a Bible memory association that used the letters of the alphabet to memorize Scripture. And, and they learned it like this. You know why? Because they could remember it. A, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. B, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. C, even children, uh, confess your sin, uh, confess the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. D, draw an iron to God and he will draw an iron to you. E, you know, and it just went through the whole letters of the alphabet and you could memorize it like that. Well, that's what Psalm 119 is. And so when you do this, when you look at it, like, for example, let me just, just arbitrarily, I'll just grab something. Let's go to verse 10. Uh, of Psalm 119. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Okay, the key word there, commandments. That's the word of God. Verse 11, thy word, there it is, have I commanded. I might not sin against thee. Verse 12, blessed art thou, teach me thy statutes. There's the reference to the word of God, the statutes. With all my lips I have declared all thy judgments. It's the judgments that's referring to the word of God. Verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies. There's the word of God. Uh, Verse 15, I will meditate on on all thy precepts. There's the word of God. Uh, Verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. There it is. Now watch this. Now turn it into your prayer life. Father, I just want to rejoice because it is thy word that I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, O God. 
God, I just want to say that you're blessed, O Lord, and thank you for teaching me your statutes. See how I take the Word of God and I turn it into my prayer life? So if you ever want to just, you say, you know, I prayed for everything that I knew to pray for. I prayed for every person in China, um, you know, and I've run, and I only, it only took me nine minutes to pray. Have you ever had one of those experiences? I mean, I have, right? What else do I pray, right? I've confessed every sin. That took two hours. I mean, you know, you just kind of go through the whole thing. Okay, well, but you want to kind of learn how to pray. Pray Scripture. It is so powerful. But I love, I love Psalm 119 and verse 99. Look at this one. This is so cool. I want to preach through Psalm 119 someday. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Okay. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For thy, medita- for thy testimonies are my meditations. What made him smarter than all of his teachers? It was the word of God. See that? When you take in the word of God, it's engrafted into you, Paul tells us. It's the word engrafted in. Think about that, that phrase, right? You ever seen like a tree graft? You know, they'll graft in a limb onto a tree and they'll get two kinds of fruit out of this thing. The idea is we're grafted in to the Word of God. And so the Word of God becomes grafted. Then it, then it uses another metaphor. Let the Word of God go deep, deep, that you're rooted and grounded, you see? And so what happens is all of a sudden you just, you're not functioning in your wisdom. You're functioning in the wisdom of God that's engrafted, that's filling, that's imparted to you, that's part of you. And all of a sudden now you start thinking differently. You think like you have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. I have the mind of Christ. Pretty cool, huh? Okay. Um, let's see here. What else do I want to do? What time do I have? Okay. This class just isn't long enough. I know you probably say it's too long, but it's, it seems like. Okay, um, let's go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Now, this is some good stuff here. Somebody said, what's your favorite verse? And I always say the one I'm reading. How about you? Amen? Which one do you like the best? I like that one. Okay. Matthew chapter 4, we know it's a story of the temptation, right? You know, look at this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Did you ever wonder why in the Lord's Prayer he says, and lead us not into temptation? It's because of this. But deliver us what? From evil. It's based right on his experience. He says, you don't want to go through what I went through, gentlemen. Okay? And it says, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, we're only asking 21 out of you, and afterwards he was hungry. Here's the greatest understatement of Scripture. Yeah, I haven't eaten for 40 days. I'm hungry. I'm going to eat the leg off a table. Are you kidding me? And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made into bread. And he answered and said, it is written. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see that little word, word, right there in verse 4? Circle it. And right next to it, write the word rima, R-H-E-M-A. It's not the word logos. It's not the Bible he's talking about there. The rima is a word that is revealed from the word. This is where God is showing you something. Because guess what he does? Jesus does what people tell us we can't do today. Take the Bible out of context. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, 
and he re- and he says, you know, in this situation, I don't have to give you the historical rundown of what happened in Deuteronomy with manna. I just God just spoke to me here. The Spirit of God just revealed this to me. Jesus in His humanity, and He says, "Guess what? Man shall not live by um, by the word of alone, uh, uh, by but by bread alone, but by every rema that proceeds out of the mouth of God." In the midst of spiritual warfare, you need more than to read the Bible. You need God to speak to you from His Word about that situation. See the difference? Do you remember that scripture over there in Ephesians? Just mark this down. Make a note. Ephesians chapter 6, and it says, it says, you know, put on the helmet of your salvation, you know, the breastplate of righteousness and all that, and take up the word of God, right? Okay? That's the word rima. It's not the word. It's not the Bible. It's not take up the Bible, you know, like in some bad uh, Hollywood flick, you know, where, you know, Dracula comes in, you hold up the Bible, and he runs. That doesn't work. What works is when you have enough of the word and God begins to take what you know, he applies it to that situation, and that becomes a living word of God or speaking the rema of God in that situation. He applies it to it. Pretty powerful, huh? Okay. Drop down a little bit here to um, see where it says, uh, is the Bible reliable? Remember, we always go to the arrow pointed out. Uh, The Bible comes to us by inspiration. That means God's breath. You ever been around somebody with bad breath? You ever known you had bad breath? It's the worst thing in the world, isn't it? Somebody wants to talk to you. I know I have bad breath right now. You know, what do I do? Well, how you doing? How about when somebody really wants to talk to you and they're close talker and they got bad breath? I do have a point in all this. It's not just being silly. The one thing you know about somebody with bad breath is you know what's inside their mouth. It just doesn't smell right. You, you get the flavor. Right? If they had garlic, you go, garlic breath. Right? And then, and then they're leaning into you. Hey, how you doing? I'm great. You're great. It's great. You got a baked potato to go with that garlic? I mean, seriously. <laughs> My point is this. The Word of God is the breath of God. You get what God really is. You get what the flavor of God with the Word of God. That's why you can read it, not even really fully understand it, and it blesses you. Because He's speaking to your spirit. It fills up your heart, fills up your spirit in a powerful way. Uh, So, 2 Timothy 3.16 is God breathed. Drop at the bottom there. Jesus believed the Bible was the the word of God. That's good enough for me. How about you? But here's what else he believed, Matthew 5.18. He said that every jot, down to the last jot and tittle. What he's really saying here is um, every last detail, even the smallest letter in the the alphabet is going to be fulfilled. I'm not going to lose any of my words. I'm not going to lose any of my words. They're all significant. They're all powerful. They're all important. You need to listen to all of those. Um, top of page 28, top of page 28, uh, it says, um, Jesus uh, used Scripture to rebuke the devil. Um, again, if we took you back, we could show you all the different references to Rima. Um, I, took, I took what I have in my Bible. I took all the references. I typed them out. A little, you know, on my computer, and then I dropped them down to like, you know, like I don't know. It looks like about six point type, 
And then I cut it out, and I literally just stuck it in the bottom. Of, I taped it into the bottom of my Bible. It's, and I put it in Matthew 4. This is how I remember. I always can go to Matthew 4. There's all the references to Rema in the Bible. I can go, and I can look at them, and I can cross-check them. Personalize your Bible and make it real for you. That's my point. If Jesus was God in human flesh, it's difficult to see how he could be wrong in his view of the Bible. I love that. A couple of different ways to kind of learn the Bible. This first one here is uh, to read, listen, study, memorize, meditate. The other one is just read, think, ask, pray, yada, da. Okay? Got it? Um, middle of page 29, depend on the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you into all truth. That's key. I love the thing at the last. Tammy, are you here? Where is she? Is she? Okay. Okay. Um, I love this quote here at the end, and I'm just going to read it until she gets in here and she can close us out with this activity. The Bible contains the mind of God. I would photocopy this, tape it in the back of your Bible. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, happiness of believers, its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, comfort to cheer you. It is a traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Isn't that great? Here paradise is restored, heaven opened, the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good, our good its design. The glory of God is its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is a mind of wealth. It is a paradise of glory. The river of pleasure it is given to you in life will be opened at judgment, will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy contents. Fantastic, huh? Isn't that great? Amen. Tam, you ready? You are up. How's everybody? Good? Good? Full of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. All right. We're going to talk a little about the Holy Spirit and do some, uh, do some activities together. You know, something that, and I love that passage. You didn't go in a whole lot, babe, with the NIV, and a couple of people that weren't here last week were, what is he talking about? That passage on the Trinity is so good where it talks about the Godhead. I'm just going to talk a little bit about this for a minute, and then we're going to do something together. But think of it this way. When you think of the triune God, you think of the Trinity, think of God as the creator, okay? God the Father is the creator, Jesus is the mediator, and the Holy Spirit is the helper. So God and the triune God, God the Father is the creator, Jesus is the mediator, and the Holy Spirit is your helper, your comforter, your go-between. So we're going to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit, okay? What I want you to do is, and it's funny, I've had three people just stop me, and I was back actually talking to somebody just now, how the Holy Spirit this week has started prompting them, speaking to them, leading them. And here's what I want you to understand is the more you are sensitive to and drawn toward the Holy Spirit, the louder he will speak. The more directly he will lead, the clearer the direction will be. So you call it on. Every day what you want to do is just get in the habit of just saying, Holy Spirit, I invite you right now. And just remember how Phil talked about he's the most sensitive part of the triune God. 
I invite you right now to fill me with your spirit. I pray that you would open my eyes. And the more you're obedient to that, and you'll start seeing promptings. You'll see somebody on the road that you're supposed to to, to feed or somebody that you're supposed to speak to or, or the direction of the Holy Spirit is going to come. And you'll start sensing that. And it gets louder, and you feel it, and it's evident. And then you start speaking it. Then you start telling people, I just felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to do this today. The more you decree it, the more you declare it, the more you visualize it, the more you see it, the more you obey it, the more you walk in it, the clearer it is. So even this week, several of you have said, matter of fact, Missy was saying she was on a walk. I don't want to take yours. Missy, where are you? You're here somewhere. So you don't get to use this one. But she said she was out doing her, her walk, her prayer walk, and she came to a fork in the road. And she just said, Holy Spirit, which path am I to take? And she said, literally, she felt the Holy Spirit say, go this way. And there was a reason that God gave her to go that way. So when we get to where we literally, when I was doing my prayer walk yesterday, I got up and I just said, Holy Spirit, I want you to teach me something. My eyes are open. Would you just speak to me as I'm walking and praying? And I'm walking up Serrano and I'm, they clipped all these trees back like they do this time of the year. And all these little buds were coming out on this one tree. And the Holy Spirit literally said to me, sometime you have to be pruned before you can sprout new growth. Now, when the Holy Spirit speaks like that, I know it's him because I wouldn't be saying that or looking for that. Who wants to be pruned? I'm not telling myself, you go get pruned, girl. You know, I mean, when the Holy Spirit will say things to us that we need to hear, and I literally took a picture of it, I posted it, and I don't know all of these likes I got because it resonated with people. See, sometimes we have to be pruned before we can sprout new growth. But, but, but I invited him to come in and speak to me. I was looking, and I hear I saw it in nature. He gave me an example in my spirit. He said, I'm going to prune you. There's times I'm going to cut you back. I'm going to trim you back because I have growth that can only come out after you've been pruned. Because sometimes it's only when we've either been hurt right, that we really see that the pruning or the chastising of God, that new growth comes. That was a spirit-led moment for me. Does that make sense? So what I want you to do right now is I want you to turn to someone who hopefully isn't your partner or husband or someone you're close to, and I want you to share with them one of these things, a time when he, the Holy Spirit led you or comforted you or taught you. Now remember, the Holy Spirit will lead you. He will guide you. He will comfort you. And I'm going to end with, not end, but give you one last story. If, if some of you have read my book, I talk in there about a time when our son, Jeremy, um, was uh, premature. He was born prematurely. And when he was born, his lungs collapsed. And they whisked him off to um, emergency or ER before I could ever see him. Didn't get to hold him, didn't get to look at him, anything. And there was um, a, a workbook I had been going through. It was a faith workbook at the time by a wonderful man named Dr. Manley Beasley. And he had this saying, which we use often in, in our church, faith is believing something so when it's not so in order for it to be so. So that was basically the Hebrews passage, uh, believing something is so. And I had tried to say that and memorize it and understand it. And it just, you know how when you hear something spiritual, it just goes over your head? And you, okay, I, I don't get that. And I was laying in the recovery room. Jeremy was in intensive care. They told me if he made it through the night, they would bring me a picture of him the next day. I still have the Polaroid picture. That was back in, in the early 70s, that I, uh, mid-70s with him. And I laid there in that room all by myself. And the Holy Spirit came to me and said, you've got to believe it's so when it's not so in order for it to be so. 
And the reason I know it was the Holy Spirit was I couldn't even remember the so's. I hadn't been able to memorize it. And his precious Holy Spirit came to me in that hospital room all by myself. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, you've got to believe it's so. When the doctors say it's not so. When the nurses tell you it's not so. It was my first spiritual lesson in faith by myself. Not the faith of my parents. Not the faith of my pastor. Not the faith of a friend. The Holy Spirit visited me in my spirit. And he said, I can move the mountains of doubt if you trust me. I took a huge step that day, my first faith journey, when I said, I'm going to believe Jeremy's going to live, even when the doctors tell me he's not. And my faith in you will make it so. And I can tell you there are many mountains that take a long time for me to see moved. Not all my mountains have moved. That was my first time the Spirit visited me. And Jeremy, we have to laugh now because out of our three children, he is the only one that didn't have glasses, the only one that didn't have braces. Literally, he was in intensive care so long, they told us that he would be mentally retarded, that he literally would have all kinds of effects of the 100% oxygen that he was on for 14 days. But when God does a miracle, he does a miracle, amen? amen. So sometimes he visits us in, in times of crises, and he leads us. Sometimes you've just heard devastating news, and the Holy Spirit will come to you. I want you to brag on the Holy Spirit right now. I want you to tell someone when the Holy Spirit came as your comforter, as your guide, as your teacher mentor, and sharing that gets you comfortable sharing about the Holy Spirit. See, we need to tell Holy Spirit stories, and as we do, he visits us more. Does that make sense? So turn to somebody and share a Holy Spirit story for about two minutes, and then we'll share, and then we'll um, have a time of prayer together. Okay, I have one more assignment before we end tonight. How'd everybody do? I love hearing God's stories, huh? Okay, everybody good? It's hard to get this group quiet. Okay, everybody up here. A couple more things we want to go over tonight. A couple things I wrote down, I think this is so good. The more you receive the Holy Spirit the more you see the Holy Spirit. The more you receive, and the reason I say that, and Phil mentioned this, and we were just actually talking about this just now, you can quench the Holy Spirit. You can stifle and suppress the Holy Spirit. So the more you receive him, and that doesn't happen once or twice a day. That needs to happen throughout the day. Because every time we sin, every time we're disobedient, every time we're in the flesh, we're suppressing the Holy Spirit. So you're not going to be as sensitive to the Holy Spirit as when you're completely filled with the Holy Spirit. So there are many fillings throughout the day. I've got to constantly be, Holy Spirit, you know what? I just offended you. I just quenched you. I quenched you with my thought, my action, my behavior. I confessed to my mentorship group this morning, that this afternoon, that I had to take my car in for some repair work today. And I'm singing. I'm praising. I got my music on. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm inviting him in. I'm praying who I'm going to witness to. And I'm right there at La Palma turning, and I was bumper to bumper getting ready to make a left because the line was all the way past the 91. And I'm thinking, okay, okay. And by golly, if some idiot, I mean, I am in line. I'm, I am in line. I've been in line five minutes. 
you know, patiently. I didn't do what some people do, and they jump out, and then they sweetly go, can I get over? And then, yeah, go ahead. This idiot didn't even do that. He decides he's going to just go completely around everybody and just, and I was just this much, gave him this much room, and, man, he jumps in there. I lost it. I was so mad. I'm just like, and then I, I just got like road rage. It was this beautiful, what's that expensive car? Range Rover. And he was ahead of me, and I'm like, oh, no, you don't. And I'm like, I literally got in this battle of the cars, and I'm like, you know, you idiot. You, you know, in my mind, I didn't call him that, but I literally just almost clipped him. I was, I haven't told him. I was so mad. I'm like, look, I got in line. All of these people in line got in line. There's a rule. You get in line. You wait your turn. I was one of those kids, right? I was, so, and then literally the minute he got over, I thought, what is wrong with you? I'm asking myself, what is wrong with me? Why did I act and respond that way? Because my nature does that every once in a while. Every once in a while, I'm the nice person going, oh, you went in, come in. Not as nice as, as often as the other, because that's my thing is, oh, I get so mad. Okay? So, so that's my, but you know what I did? I completely suppressed the Holy Spirit. I did. I mean, I was just like not a nice person for like three minutes, but I caught it. And then I thought, what is wrong with you? And I literally said, Holy Spirit, forgive me. Those were my exact words. Holy Spirit, forgive me. I really just quenched your spirit in my heart right now. And I ask you to forgive me and fill me. And the quicker that you can do course correction, the problem is when you brew on that, you know, just all day long. And then finally you find, you get to the end of the day and you go, man, this has been a lousy day. Why? Because you suppress the Holy Spirit with your attitude, your actions, your behavior, and you didn't confess and, and become filled with the Holy Spirit again. Okay, so that's the key. That really is the key. The minute you realize that you confess that and you invite him to fill you, because somebody's going to fill you, and most of the time it ain't going to be the Holy Spirit. It's going to be your flesh, okay? All righty, speaking of that, breakthrough. Breakthrough starts tomorrow, and what I mean by that is tomorrow starts our 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church. And we are praying for breakthrough. We are praying, we know, now corporately we're praying for these three things. And without looking, how many of you can remember what they are? Number one is what? What? Our community groups. Don't leave here tonight if you haven't seen Marion yet. She is um, doing a terrific job putting our small groups together, our community groups together. And we're praying for 30. I know we're already up to 10 or something already. And we just started this last week. And we're just hoping for 30 this year. So we're like, oh, gosh, this is amazing. So we want you part of a community group. Um, the reason we're stressing this, you guys, seriously, is because they're sermon-based. How great was that sermon Sunday? Wow. Really, that was un- and you know, and I say it was so good. This guy puts in so many hours of studying, and I'm just so proud of him. But so many people said, I've never seen that passage before. I've never seen that gap explained so much. Well, how cool in community groups now that we can take the message that we love, it was really good, and take it to another level with our community group to delve into it, to learn it, to discuss it. And we're all on the same page of communication. Now we're talking about this stuff as a church. And there's so much power in that. So sermon-based um, community groups are awesome. We, re- we really want you to be part of that. And then number two is baptizing. We really want to see 100 baptisms out here on Easter. And as we begin this discipleship and we see people saved and baptized, that's really our prayer. So we want you to 
fast for that, pray for that, believe God for that. And then the third one is going to be um, forming our, our school of ministry and our global school of ministry, which look at this. It's amazing what God's doing, but we want to take this globally and nationally. So we really want to be praying for that. But then we want you to be praying about something. Everyone in this room needs a spiritual breakthrough on something. For me, I need it for my driving. All right. And I've just confessed it. And now everyone's going to be watching me and sending me notes. And I saw you on the 91 and you were speeding. And all right, I give you permission to be my Holy Spirit. Um, um, but we definitely all need a breakthrough. We really do one. And, and remember, some things in Matthew only happen by prayer and fasting. We need that edge. And so some of you are going to be mean for the next 21 days because, um, you know, you're not eating food. And you, we just get we get cranky, don't we, babe, sometimes? Well, one of us do, I guess. Um, so I really want you praying about that. I want you, um, hopefully everyone's going to join us on this 21-day fast. So what I want you to do right now as we get ready to pray and bless over um, one another. Matter of fact, go ahead and stand with me. And I want you to turn to the person next to you. Everybody stay with me quietly. Turn to the next person next to you. And, and um, if you are fasting, I want you to share. You don't have to share what you're fasting from, but just that you are fasting for 21 days. And then what I want you to do is I want you to pray over that person for spiritual breakthrough over this next 21 days, that God would really give them the vision and the breakthrough for, through their fast. And then I want you to bless them in the name of Jesus. Prayer, prayer blessing, protection, favor, abundance over each other um, as we close. And should we do this first and then? Okay. Yeah, just one thing. We do need to take the tables down, and we'll lean them long ways up against this wall back here. And then these chairs need to go in stacks, eight high. Okay, and we'll put them back over in front of that door over there. Okay, so if everybody can help, that would be awesome because they're going to do some work in here tomorrow. We're trying to get this finished, and and, uh, so that would help immensely. Okay? All right, thanks, guys. Okay, so hey, baby, come over here. You be me. I get to bless you. Okay, so turn around, and um, one thing that we'll learn about also, if you, this is real important, if you want to bless someone, you can place your hand on their shoulder. That's about the best thing to do, Um, and just stay safe that way, unless it's your spouse, all right? Um, But bless them, and then pray over them for their fast over the next 21 days, okay?